Good morning, church. My name is Nathaniel. I worship with you here at CityGate. Um, like he said, John is away this morning, and um, so I'm here in his stead. My wife and I, uh, if you don't know, are missionaries, and um, we've uh, lived in Africa a couple years. We've kind of been here on break, um, going to school and doing some other things, um, but plan on moving to Kenya later this year. And for the month of June, we've been talking about global missions. And the last three weeks, Pastor John has answered the following three questions. What is missions? Why is there suffering in missions, even to the point of death? What is the, and what is the message of missions? The answers to which, what is missions to go and catch people? Why is there suffering in missions, even to the point of death? We are to emulate a Christ who suffered to the point of death. This reflects that God is our greatest treasure and also reflects the Christian belief of the temporariness of this life. I looked it up. That's a word. I, my wife doubted me. It's, temporariness is a word. Um, what is the message of missions? There are ultimately two paths people are walking. One is destined for hell and the other for heaven. Hell is real but there is a way to be saved from it. It is the duty of the Christian to spread that message. So that's what John's been talking about. And this week, we'll answer the questions, questions, who are the beneficiaries of global missions and who is global missions for? That may seem like the same question, but it is nuanced. Who benefits? Who's it for? An example of what I mean by this is that I'll occasionally listen to a radio station who gets most of or a portion of its revenue from private sponsors, from people who donate monthly or do give to the pledge drives that, that they do. I never have, probably never will, give my money to a radio station. But when I listen to the radio station, the private donation that was given to that radio station benefits me But that donation wasn't intended for me. So that's kind of the difference that I'm talking about. But before we get into that, let's look to Scripture. So if you would open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1. You can use your apps or the Sky Bible behind me. Nehemiah chapter 1, we'll start in verse 1. What Mike read was a bit of the prequel to Nehemiah. To paraphrase what he read... Babylon came and absolutely decimated Jerusalem. The king of Babylon took the king captive, stole all the treasure and artifacts, captured and displaced the people, government officials, and soldiers. And catch what Mike read there at the end. The Babylonian king even went so far as to establish a king over Jerusalem of his choosing. And then he renamed him and gave him a Babylonian name. Imagine that being done today. In light of the news that's on all the time, imagine Iran coming to America, taking most of its population to Iran, throwing Trump in jail, and installing a new president with an Iranian name. That's essentially what happened here. Also, I'm going to try for the sake of time to summarize the story of Nehemiah for you. 
I would encourage you to read it on your own. It's one of my favorites, um, both because it's a great story and so you don't just take my word for it. It's never good to just take a preacher's word. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province, who had survived the exile, and is, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Upon hearing the news, Nehemiah was absolutely heartbroken. That was his people. That was his city. Nehemiah then goes into a prayer and asks God to give him success and grant him mercy as he goes before the king on behalf of the Jews. Nehemiah decides to do this. Now some background information that's important as we move forward. Nehemiah, his job is to be cupbearer to the king. This is a very lucrative position for a Jew. It's just about the best job a Jew could get in Babylon. They were almost in... uh, they were in daily direct contact with the king. They were well known by the king. In chapter 2, verse 2, it says, the king says to Nehemiah, why is your face sad seeing you are not sick? There's nothing but sadness of the heart. The king knew Nehemiah well enough to know the difference between when Nehemiah was sick and when he was just heartbroken. So it was a good position for the king to know you that well and you be a Jew, essentially a foreigner, in Babylon. It's a good position. Now the king he works for is the descendant of the king that sacked Jerusalem. So the king that took that king captive, installed another one, took all the treasure, took all the artifacts, destroyed it. He's the, the direct descendant of that king. And Artaxerxes, the current king, has decreed that any work being done to rebuild Jerusalem should stop. So Nehemiah is the cupbearer, and the king that he works for doesn't like Jerusalem and has said, don't rebuild it. So Nehemiah decides to go before that king, and it picks up in chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, Nisan, In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. The king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins? and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, 
to the city of my father's grapes that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me with, send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of God was upon me. Such an awesome, awesome example of how God provides when we're faithful. The king's reply is essentially, how, how long are you going to be gone? What do you need? Let me know if you need anything. The king who said, don't, don't rebuild Jerusalem, when Nehemiah goes in front of him and says, hey, I want to build Jerusalem, I'm heartbroken for it. The king says, essentially, okay, let me know. What do you need? What a great example of how God provides. So Nehemiah goes with workers to Jerusalem. When he gets there, he meets great opposition from the foreigners who had taken root there. At one point, they have to work with swords in one hand in case there's attack while they, an attack while they work. At one point, they have to work with swords and spears at the ready. One will stand guard while the other one works because of the opposition that they're facing. At another point, when the people are going... Um, are planning to give up or are feeling disheartened, Nehemiah says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. That's why I love this story. It's just, it just gets me pumped. However, after much toil, Nehemiah leads the people in successfully rebuilding the wall. Now using this story, who benefited from the mission? Who benefited from this mission that Nehemiah went on? Obviously, Nehemiah benefited. He was heartbroken for the remnant in Jerusalem. Another background fact that I forgot to give. When Jerusalem was sacked and the Babylonian king took people to Babylon, there were a few that escaped and stayed behind. So when I say remnant, that's who I'm talking about. Nehemiah was heartbroken for that remnant, heartbroken that his city had been destroyed, that it was sacked. And so obviously he benefited when it was rebuilt, when the wall was rebuilt. Now, what are some of the downfalls of making the mission about us? Because the mission wasn't about Nehemiah. And today, when we go on missions when we, we endeavor to go into missions, when we make missions about us, we implant ourselves as superior to God. In a sense, we claim to be God because we seek our own glory and not His. I personally have witnessed the fall of ministries and even people being led astray because of missionaries seeking to make their own name great. Some of the most selfish people I've met are missionaries. Why? Because though they may have began with good intentions, the constant pats on the backs got to their head, and it became about them. 
Spurgeon says, John's been quoting Spurgeon, so I thought I would too. Spurgeon says, you will never glory in God until, first of all, God has killed your glorying in yourself. Obviously, the Jews benefited. The wall to their city, an important component to the flourishing of any ancient city, was rebuilt. However, the mission wasn't for them either. When we make the mission about others, we run the risk of preaching a false gospel. A common example of this is what is referred to today as the, go- as the prosperity gospel, also called the health and wealth gospel, the gospel that preaches that God wants to make you healthy and wealthy. We can become overly concerned with the earthly success of those we're serving and be blinded to their spiritual condition. This in turn can cause people we're serving to see themselves as superior to God, which leads us to the very first problem. We're creating people that only think about themselves, essentially. Putting others first in missions often leads to burnout and kills any chance of the mission continuing. So if missions isn't ultimately for us and isn't ultimately for others, then who is it for? Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1 through 3 and 36. Or, sorry. First Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly both men and women and all who could understand what they had heard. On the first day of the seventh month, and he read, it, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. The book of the law at this point in history is their scripture. And Ezra blessed the Lord Going down to verse 6, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. John Piper says, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. John read this a few weeks ago. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. By the way, there's still some back there. That quote is from the book, Let the Nations Be Glad. The supremacy, sorry, the supremacy of God in missions. Now you might be wondering why we're pushing these books. Obviously, the Bible is first and foremost. No book will ever replace that. But as we're talking about missions, it's important to have a good theology surrounding missions. If we don't, it can lead to some of the problems that I talked about. It can lead to burnout. It can lead to us doing the mission for the wrong reason. 
We can spread a gospel message that's wishy-washy, that makes disciples who are wishy-washy. The biggest problem in Christian Africa, the part of Africa that is predominantly Christian, is the prevalence of the prosperity gospel, which oftentimes has been perpetuated by bad theology surrounding missions. So that's why we're pushing these books. It's not so we make money. This is $10. If you can't afford it, just take it for free. John and I both would rather you just have good theology than miss out on a book because you don't want to pay $10 or because you can't pay $10. God benefits in missions in that he receives more glory. But missions is ultimately for him. Now it's important to say here that God in his self-sufficiency does not need us. He has all the glory he'll ever need. He has allowed, however, the blessing to be his emissary. He has allowed us the blessing to be his emissaries and partake in the glorification of his name. So why does God desire that we go participate in missions if he is already as self-sufficient as he could be? This can make us feel a little worthless. If God's fine, why am I here? I feel like that all the time when I join in conversations with professionals of other professions I know nothing about. I talk to an engineer that works on lasers. I'm like, dude, I don't know what to talk to you about. (laughs) That's so far beyond me. Why am I even here? We can feel like that. It's understandable. God does desire his glory and his name to be made great. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 through 12, he says, In him, Paul says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In Isaiah 43, 7, it just says plainly, everyone who is called in my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God says there, blatantly, I made you for my glory. So with this truth in mind, Wayne Grudem, a theologian, says, when we first realize that God did not need us, and does not need us for anything, we could conclude that our lives have no importance at all. But Scripture tells us that we were created to glorify in God, indicating that we are important to God himself. This is the final definition of genuine importance or significance to our lives. If we are truly important to God for all eternity, then what greater measure of importance or significance could we want? God doesn't need us, but he wants us. That's what, if you want to feel special, that's the message you should feel special about. What we get to do is one day join with countless other saints in worshiping once and for all at the master's seat. That's what's so beautiful about Nehemiah. Nehemiah didn't go to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. 
I remember the first time I read it. My youth pastor in high school told me about the book of Nehemiah and said it was awesome. So I read it. And the first thought I had was, what was the point of that? Who cares about a wall? It's not even, it's crumbling today if you go to Jerusalem. But it wasn't even about a wall back then. Nehemiah did it for the glory of God. Remember what he says even when serving other people. Or when he is talking to the people who are disheartened. He says, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Then he says, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. It's first and foremost for the Lord, for the benefit of his glory. When we endeavor in missions, we have to remember that's what it's about. David Platt in his book, Radical, we don't have any back there, but I still want to recommend it. If I had to recommend a third book in addition to Let the Nations Be Glad and Book of Martyrs, it would be this one, Radical by David Platt. He says, We will not wish we had made more money, acquired more stuff, lived more comfortably, taken more vacations, watched more television, pursued greater retirement, or been more successful in the eyes of this world. Instead, we will wish we had given more of ourselves to living for the day when every nation, every tribe, people, and language will bow around the throne and sing the praises of the Savior who delights in radical obedience and the God who deserves eternal worship. What is all this about? What is missions about? Why are we preaching about it? It's about being able to worship the Savior. Thankfully, we get to taste that sweetness. We get to join the brothers and sisters who made it one day. Some of the ones that we worked so hard to share that gospel message with. I imagine when we get there, that one day I'll be able to look next to me and see him. And I imagine I'll find rest not in knowing that I did a good work, but that I got to add one more to the chorus of saints singing praise to the Lord. My greatest joy in looking forward to heaven is not that I'll get to arrive, but I'll get to experience that peace of being in God's presence and of glorifying him perfectly and eternally. Practically, we have to remember that we need to seek God's glory in everything. Otherwise, it leads to 
the downfall of something, whether it's ourselves, the system we build, the people we're trying to serve. If we don't seek God's glory, we will fail. We will fail the people. We'll fail the country we're in, whether it's the U.S. or somewhere else. If I could wrap all of this up in one sentence, I would say this. We all get to benefit from the earthly mission of extending the gospel to all corners of the earth, but it isn't for us. God is the sole reason for all we endeavor to do. Missions is not about us. And it isn't even about others. It's only for God.